0: Welcome into the Unorthodox Podcast, where we discuss Christianity's most controversial questions and topics. My name is Josh Good, and today I'm joined by Craig Ireland. Hey, Josh. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Thank you. So, Craig, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we dive into our topic today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Josh. I am currently serving as the pastor at Oak Grove Baptist Church and uh, originally from Australia, born and raised there in Australia and pastored a church back there for a number of years, relocated here to the U.S. about almost three years ago now and um, pastoring a church here and really loving it, especially in the springtime.
0: Yeah. Um, so why don't you go ahead and give our, our audience members a bit of a, a vision for what this podcast is going to be about?
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, so... Really excited about launching this podcast and definitely looking at the landscape of podcasts out there in uh, not just evangelical Christianity, but just, you know, across the internet, what's available. And it seems like pretty well every niche is well covered. So what we're looking to do here is not necessarily reinvent the wheel or come up with something new, but more specifically, we want to have the kind of podcast that addresses uh, topics, questions, and issues um, that I... We get the sense that Christians perhaps are discussing day to day, but perhaps not spending a lot of time um, dealing with in a deep theological way, and uh, we just want to kind of tackle some of those and maybe provoke some controversy, maybe help some people think through some things, but above all, we want to try and glorify God by getting to the truth and getting there in a way that's faithful to the scriptures and, uh, and glorifying of Christ.
0: All right, well, uh, this should be a lot of fun. And let's go ahead and dive into our, our first question, which is, is alcohol a sin? And I'll let you take it away.
1: All right. Thanks, Josh. Is is alcohol a sin? What I'm going to do is I'm going to assume that the question is perhaps referring to the recreational use of alcohol, given that so many of uh, the products that are on the market for health products, um, vitamins, different supplements, things like uh Medicines for allergens and and even you know Listerine these all contain alcohol a lot of medicinal products contain alcohol and I don't think anyone's really asking the question if those things are lawful unlawful prudent or unwise I think the question is assuming as I'd said that we're talking about the recreational use of alcohol now simple answer uh, let me just let me just state it as clearly as I can recreational use of alcohol is not could not in any way be a sin if the question is just asked objectively. But of course, for each individual, based upon each individual's conscience, it really comes down to whether in their situation, and given their proclivity, given their risk factors, is alcohol for them a wise or unwise thing? Now, I would, I would put it as plainly as I can. I would say that we have Old Testament scripture, I'm thinking of Nehemiah 8, which encourages the, the use of alcohol. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've got a New Testament scripture. Of course, Paul encourages his son in the faith, Timothy, to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. And of course, we have the holiest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, who almost without any doubt consumed alcohol, at least in participating in uh, in the annual ceremonies of the jewish calendar but you know perhaps the wedding at cana where he turns water into wine we we come to expect jesus is engaging in that practice of consuming alcohol and so i would say that if you're you know if that's stacked up as as the case for at least objectively the recreational use of alcohol an old testament verse in black and white encouraging the use of alcohol a new testament verse in black and white demonstrating paul encouraging timothy to use alcohol The person of Jesus Christ, who again, there's very little doubt at some point in his life and ministry, he consumed wine. I think it's going to be a fairly hard case to make to argue that alcohol is in any stretch uh, a sin in and of itself. I think, as I said before, it boils down to the person. Uh, Are you responsible? Are you wise? Are you prudent? Do you have high risk factors for addiction and are you able to... Are you able to to be in control or do you quickly relinquish control of the substances? Is that your biology? Is that your chemistry? I would say all those factors really boil down to the individual.
0: Okay, so I'm going to interject here for just a second. Um, So just to clarify your position, you are not saying that everyone needs to go out and be drinking alcohol. This is um, purely based on individual circumstances and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I would say that, and I would say there's there's another element that should be considered, Josh. I would say some people don't like the taste of alcohol, so of so course, that yes. as well, right? <laughs> you know, like if you don't like it, you're not you're not a sinner because the scripture says, for example, Psalm one hundred four fifteen says, "Wine that makes human hearts glad speaks about making his face shine with oil." The bread that sustains human hearts. Speaks about God creating and producing these things for our good. God created food. God created drink. God created the enjoyment of these things. Nature, uh, sexual intimacy. God gives these good gifts. Now, if someone just simply doesn't like it, or someone's in a high risk factor for addiction and abuse, then of course, I wouldn't say that they are conversely sinning because they didn't partake of alcohol, but it does very much boil down to an individual decision. Okay, so... Uh,
0: sort of moving into a different uh, different sphere of questioning here. Um, if uh, there, there are a lot of Christians out there that will say that the um, appearance of a, a Christian or a pastor or someone involved in the church um, drinking alco- alcohol um, regularly or for recreation. Um, that that gives off a negative perception
1: mm. um,
0: within that church setting. Um, what would your sort of response to that yeah, be? Yeah,
1: and I, certainly I've encountered this one myself. And I think there's there's a premise to this, which is um, there's a text in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, which translated in the King James Bible says, abstain from all appearances or appearance of evil. And so there's kind of this... There's this, uh, there's this idea in, in Christianity, particularly in evangelicalism, which suggests that if we do anything that might in some way be perceived or even misconstrued as behavior that's worldly or carnal or sinful, then we should abstain from that kind of behavior. Now, my first comment is simply that that's actually not a great translation of the text. You'll, you'll struggle to find any other Bible version that is worded like that. Just about every other Bible version has, I'll give you the English Standard Version, Abstain from every form of evil. The NIV is reject every kind of evil. These are these are varying versions. Even the New King James says abstain from every form of evil. And uh, and just you know, for argument's sake, let me give you one more version. The New American Standard says abstain from every form of evil. So because the King James was really the bedrock and the standard for biblical literacy for so long, I think there's been this cultural permeation of this idea that if Christians are doing something that somehow gets earmarked or tagged as being a worldly behavior, then that behavior should be abstained or, or avoided because the text says, uh, well, at least in the King James, that it appears to read abstain from all appearance of evil. The reality is that's not a verse in the Bible. That's not a good translation of any verse in the Bible. The Bible is encouraging us to abstain from every form of evil. The Bible is encouraging us to reject every kind of evil and, There wouldn't be a Christian in the world that I think would disagree with that. I think we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we're creating black and white, hard and fast lines uh, between holiness and sin or righteousness and injustice or evil based upon how others might perceive us. I I think we have to remember the example of Jesus who himself went about provocatively doing what he could to challenge misconceptions and traditions of those around him. So we think of the instance, for example, where Jesus is walking through the grain field with his disciples, his disciples begin plucking the heads of grain to eat them, and it happens to be the Sabbath. So the, uh, the great accusation of the day against Jesus and his disciples is that they're harvesting on the Sabbath, and, and Jesus doesn't turn around and say, hey guys, drop it, stop it, cut it out, empty your pockets get rid of the grain you can't you see how this has been misconstrued by others they they think you're harvesting they think you're breaking the sabbath they they think you're you're engaging in a form of evil he he doesn't tell them to do whatever they can to look the holiest they can i i would say that that's never really been part of jesus's teaching or or his motif at all i, I don't think jesus is about us looking as holy as we can i think jesus wants us to be as holy as we can empowered by the spirit governed and directed by the word Now, if someone says to me, well, you know, recreational use of alcohol is what worldlings do, you know, the kinds of people that might speak like that, I'd say, and going to the grocery store to buy your milk is also what worldlings do or putting your money in a savings account in a bank is also what worldlings do. In other words, I would say that essentially every other daily practice that we engage in are practices that make us meaningfully invested in this world and whether we eat or drink whatever we shall do we do to the glory of god and i don't think alcohol should be uh, earmarked or cornered as the great descriptor of holiness or not now again i'll come back to what i said in my opening remarks if jesus drank wine and there's there's almost no doubt he did on more than one occasion and you think you're holier than jesus if if you're if you're trying to project a holiness that's more holy than the holiest man that ever lived, then you, friend, could be vastly closer to a Pharisee than you could be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I would warn against that kind of idealism.
0: So you seem to almost suggest that there's two sort of people to this equation. The one, on the one hand, you have the people who are um, abstaining from uh, consuming alcohol purely because they don't wish to um, be per- perceived in a negative light. Um, within maybe their church community and whatnot. on the other hand, um, it seems that there's the person who is um, uh, just sort of not consuming alcohol from a sense of that it makes them almost holier in a
1: sense. Um, yeah, that's fair.
0: would you, that's would you say, fair. say that's fair?
1: Yeah, and I, I think you know there are believers out there that out of a out of a respect and and a compassion and empathy for their brothers and sisters' perhaps weaker conscience, there are a lot of Christians that have major issues with the recreational use of alcohol, and uh, and I, I think Scripture is fairly clear. I don't think there's any dispute about this. That we need to we need to honor and do what we can to to help those with a weaker conscience. But I, I think it should be stated, Josh, fairly clearly that if there are people out there that are claiming that an abstinence from a certain type of food or a certain type of drink is a holier thing, the Bible would describe that person as the one with a with a weaker conscience that that's that's clear. So if it's someone saying that you know a certain day is is innately more holy than any other day this is referring to Romans 14 or if a certain type of diet is holier than another kind of diet that those people are Paul is very explicit they are of a weaker faith. But if I'm around people that are of a weaker faith I don't I don't exploit my freedom to the detriment of their comfort or or their faith. I don't want to drag them down, discourage them, or cause them to stumble or cause them to sin by going against going against their conscience. You know, it's very clear that we're all servants of the Lord, and before the Lord we rise and fall, and we owe a duty to our brothers and sisters in love to live in such a way that that honors them and strengthens them. However, I I would argue that the Bible so so often encourages. The recreational use of alcohol, God has made it. You know, I mentioned earlier that verse in Nehemiah I, you know, Christians love to quote this verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I know so many believers that just have that that line committed to heart and, and how much that line has encouraged them in difficult times. They've reminded themselves that to take delight in the Lord uh, in times where outward circumstance seems to, you know, seems to be against that it is a great encouragement failing to realize that that very verse is the one that encourages the, the use of food and sweet wine to, to be a blessing to the heart, to make the heart merry, and, and to be glad. So I, I would say that Christians that are going to take a stand against the recreational use of alcohol um, it should be seen as those that are doing that perhaps out of a weaker conscience. And, I, and, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, those of us like myself who don't have any issue with the use of alcohol or, or certain types of food... I think that it's all good, and I think that it's all given by God, and it should be all received with thanks. But of course, we do have to be sensitive to the weaker consciences of our brothers and sisters. And be careful what we do around them. Be careful how we talk around them. Be careful that we don't flaunt that freedom to to their discouragement or detriment.
0: Yeah, okay. So earlier you mentioned um, the story about Jesus and his disciples in the field um, working, picking up the grains on the Sabbath and eating, and the Pharisees are like, you can't be doing that. You're breaking the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, and you mentioned that Jesus would was often provocative in going about oh, those types of things. Um, yeah. So would you encourage Christians to go about being provocative in that same way with their recreational
1: use of alcohol? That's a that's a really good question. And and I think if you frame the question like that, the way you just framed it, the answer has to be, in a sense, yes. In other words, we have to actually believe that our life is striving constantly and consistently to marry up with the example of Jesus. He is the great exemplar. So at any point in our Christian life, one thing we can say for absolute certain, without any shadow of a doubt, is that the best example of perfect holiness is always what Jesus would do or say in any given scenario. That's clear. So put it another way if if we said should god come down into this world and act very god of very god then god would act precisely the way jesus acted jesus is of course very god of very god so so when jesus goes and he goes out of his way to provoke uh he to provoke those who are bent down and bowed under the traditions of men when jesus provokes them Provokes them to sometimes anger, provokes them to debate, provokes them to chagrin and 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 to the fact that they often want to chastise him and they accuse him. Remember, they accused him of being a glutton and a wine bibber, and he spends his time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. All these accusations, whilst of course unworthy of Christ, and and, and none of them stuck, the reality is Jesus lived in such a way that welcome to those accusations. He did actually eat with tax collectors and sinners. He did actually eat in such a way so as to not follow these very stringent and strident, strict rules of of hand cleansing and ceremonial washings of cups and bowls and all all these kinds of things. He's going out of his way to provoke the debate because I would say in love, he wants them to grow and strengthen. So if I'm thinking about this in a modern context, in our contemporary context, and in the issue of alcohol, this Let me tell you how this doesn't look. I'm not going to sit around with a group of people who are recovering alcoholics, you know, uh, who've received Christ in a, you know, they're they're trying to eke out a life of faith. I'm not just going to crack open the bottle of my, my favorite scotch and start, you know, swigging away at it and say, well, I just want you guys to be provoked. That's, of course, that's not what I'm talking about. If anyone hears what I'm saying and thinks that's what I'm getting at, you you've completely misunderstood me but but what i will want to do around those people of of any ilk of any background is to challenge the conversation let's get more biblical let's challenge ourselves to be more like jesus let's challenge ourselves to live the holy life that christ stepped out an example for us so of course i think we should we should have the conversation i think that's why that's why we're having it right now because that conversation has a worthiness that demands our attention.
0: Oh, I think you're exactly right. And that is that is the whole point of this podcast, is to incur discussion around controversial topics. Um, and just for our audience, just to be clear, uh, neither of us are advocating that um, people should be going out, um, getting drunk, um, driving, um, being reckless in that sort of state. Um, I think you've even, there's, there's instances yeah. uh, in the Bible where that's, um, that's seen and that's considered... Um, the, the story that comes to mind is uh, Noah in um, Genesis. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um,
1: gets himself in a, in a world of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, and Proverbs 23 has got a lot of really great, um, <laughs> often often very jarring language about the person who succumbs to the substance of alcohol and the risks that it brings. You know, it's all well and good to draw comparisons. You know, I, I hear Christians in support of the recreational use of alcohol make claims by saying. We can't forbid the use of alcohol because, you know, we've got evangelical Christians, particularly here in the West, and dare I say, it, particularly with us in the Bible Belt, that will just as readily abuse food. I mean, gluttony is the great unmentioned sin, right, of our generation and our locale and where we live. And, and I would say there are other sins like that as well, like like gossip and, 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 and these kinds of things that we don't really address. I think alcohol is not quite on the same level. And alcohol is not a sin. Let's be clear about that. But the abuse of alcohol is very much a sin and it comes with a far greater risk, all well and good for the glutton to be out there, you know, putting down 10 Big Macs for lunch every day. And that is an abuse of his body, an abuse of his health and bad stewardship of his life. There's no doubt. But the person that abuses alcohol has done more than put himself at risk. He has put his family, his livelihood and neighbor at risk. And 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 I think that's why the Bible has got really strong provocative language, jarring language, to to constantly remind us to be cautious. You know, you think of Noah, good example. Lot, another good example. The the, the guy's daughters get him drunk. And and even that phraseology, they get him drunk, like they like they tied him down and pursed his lips apart and, and poured the alcohol down. You know, of course he was some kind of a willing participant, but it ends up in his daughters actually Producing children by their father. It's its a gross and a disgusting incident. A real true story. It's in real human history. And it goes to show how alcohol, whilst is a blessing from God, it's a gift from God. It's a good thing. The Bible calls it all those things. It yet remains a great risk. And that's why wisdom is necessary. And I think that we have every reason. In fact, I think we have biblical mandate to at least obey the laws of of our land, as you mentioned. So using the substance before we operate heavy machinery or a vehicle or even age restrictions. Those things should be abided by for the most part because they come to us, I think, with a great semblance of wisdom.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to make make that point clear that Good. we're not at all advocating any sort of uh, underage drinking or drinking and driving. Good, yeah. And anything like that in case there was any confusion whatsoever um, at all. So th- my next question for you is... Um, a lot of a lot of arguments against um, alcohol. Um, one of them is the best form of temperance is abstinence. Mm-hmm. Um, could you sort of address <clears throat> that mindset or that argument?
1: Yeah, um, you know, so temperance being the idea that you know we're, we're prudently, wisely, and temperately uh, enjoying a certain thing. So God calls us to be temperate in all of life. God calls us to a life of contentment, but. God gives a lot of great things in life. Some of them I I mentioned earlier, good food, good drink, good relationships, good recreation, good hobbies. God gives us sexual intimacy. God gives us all these really great things. And in all of them, we're to exercise temperance because if we let any of them become a master over us and we become the servant to any of these great things God has given, they will do us and others harm. So, let's leave alcohol to the side for a moment. Let's talk about something like, um, let's talk about your, your favorite hobby. Maybe, maybe your favorite hobby is to play golf. It's not mine, but some people like to play golf. I always believe that, um, playing golf was a way to ruin a really nice walk, but some people enjoy golf. And, uh, and so they go out there and they, they like to, they like to hit a few holes on the weekend and, and, and they're not a pro and they're never really going to be a pro there. It's really at the level of being a hobby, but, suddenly that hobby gains the mastery over them. It begins to absorb their thoughts. It, it begins to take over their life. It begins to become their single devotion and passion. And they're not turning up to work. And when they do turn up, they're, they're not focused. They're not engaging in their day-to-day work. They're not serving their family. They're not being they're not being who they're supposed to be in regards to their church, their covenant membership. They're basically letting everything else in their life fall into the background so that their hobby, golf, can become the thing. It, it's, of course, the establishment of... An idol, and we would say that person is intemperate in their hobbies, and by that they're going to lose their job, and likely going you know, to lose their family. They're, they're they're going to lose their church membership. They're going to they're going to lose almost everything. And we're talking about golf. No one's sitting around saying golf is a sin, right? So let's transition over to the discussion of anything else. So we might talk about sex. Sex is a great gift God gave, but it's to be our servant. It's for our good as we masters over it. But if we become an addict to it, or we could talk about food, we could talk about really anything. If it gains the mastery over us and we begin to bow before it as its servant, we've created an idol. Alcohol of course is very, very, very much the same. You know, so when people say things like temperance uh, is, is biblically mandated and the best form of temperance is abstinence. I'm getting at, or what I'm getting at is saying that that's true of everything though. It's, it's true of sex. The best form of temperance is to not do it at all. It's true of hobbies. The best form of not allowing my hobbies to become obsessions for me is to not have them at all. Once we begin applying that rule, that dictum to all of life, we realize not only is it impractical, but it's it's a level of piety that whilst it seems humble, it's really not. It's quite arrogant. It, it begins turning away. The great gifts God has given us and pretending that we've got a a level of living that's higher and holier than what God has mandated in scripture. And I I would simply respond by saying in scripture, God has called us to enjoy the good things in this life, to eat the meat, eat the fat, to, to drink the sweet wine, to enjoy the wife of your youth. These are the things the scripture says to do, to pretend that to abstain from these things is holier than to not because temperance is the goal is really Firstly, it's really not temperance. To not do something is not a form of temperance. It's not a controlled uh, use, right? It's really just a a no use at all. And I I would say, but of course, there are people out there that have the proclivity to addiction. They should not go near alcohol. They should not hang around with people who are gonna recreationally enjoy alcohol. They should not go to bars or pubs or clubs where alcohol is freely available. That's why the Bible calls for wisdom. Alcohol can be and will be a great downfall to people that don't have the mastery over it. Whilst Josh, I'll say it again. That's true of every good thing that God gave. Yeah. And you're exactly right. Um, I think
0: maybe your, uh, your, your golf comment there might be the most controversial thing you've said throughout this whole podcast. I hope so. I hope um, so. I, I, that, that probably offended quite a few people. All, all you golf fans out there. Um, uh, I think this this will probably be our final question mm. as we as we wrap up here towards the end of our discussion. Um, what would you say to Christians who say that um, the the use of alcohol harms your witness mm. as as Christians?
1: Yeah, I, I I can appreciate you know this kind of a this kind of a question, and for some people it's not a question. It really is framed as an objection. You know, if you if you love the loss. And you're striving to live missionally in a in a lost world, then you will abstain from alcohol, because it seems to me the sentiment, at least perhaps unspoken but assumed, is that unbelievers might see you consuming alcohol and assume they might assume um, that you're you know you, you're not a true believer, you're not genuine, you're not the genuine article, you're you're a fake, a phony, hypocrite. Um, and I've got a few comments to make about that. My my, my first one is I've actually never experienced that with unbelievers. I've, I've spent a lot of my time. I I grew up, um, you know, some people know some of my story. There'll be opportunity in this podcast to share more, but I spent the majority of my childhood and my teen years as an unbeliever. I, I didn't come to faith until my late teen years until I'd well and truly discovered alcohol and of course, in those early teen—sorry, those late teen years, my early Christian walk when I found Christ, alcohol was one of the things that I just—I didn't go near again. It was very simple for me to do that. But I never remember an instance where, where you know, I and I, I had a world of unbelieving friends. I didn't—I didn't know many Christians at all, if if any. Um, I, I never remember even as an unbeliever or around unbelievers there was the sentiment that if a Christian's ever found consuming alcohol recreationally, then that there is evidence of a false. Christian. Um, and even since, like I've been, I've been teaching the Bible now for 20 years. I've been vocational, full-time vocational ministry for almost 20 years. And I've never experienced as I hang around unbelievers and I you know, I try and engage with them connect with them. This question of if you're caught consuming alcohol recreationally, you're not a true believer. I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if there are Christians, uh, if there are unbelievers that think that way. I, I don't know why. Um, it harms your witnesses is, is the idea that I can't give a genuine gospel. I, I can't confront an unbeliever with the claims of Christ because I might enjoy uh, a wine with my dinner every now and then. I, I, I just don't. I think that's something that Christians think, and I think it's something the outside world's actually thinking. So I think it's probably not a valid concern. If, if there's a Christian out there that believes for them to consume alcohol harms their witness, they should not consume alcohol. Your witness is one of the most important things about you. But I would encourage them to genuinely investigate the truth value of that claim. Genuinely investigate. Go out and poll some non-Christian friends. Throw up a poll on social media somewhere. Just ask, if you don't go to church, you don't claim to be a follower of Jesus, you're not living as a disciple, do you think that a Christian recreationally and safely, biblically using alcohol means there's someone you're unwilling to listen to as they present Jesus' gospel to you? I, I believe that, for the most part, unbelievers are not... That's not a factor for them. The claims of Christ, as I've already said several times in this episode today, the claims of Christ are not undermined by the fact that Christ, without doubt, consumed alcohol. So that should also be true of, of you and I. Our claims that we present, which are Christ's claims through us as his ambassadors, are not undermined. They're not undermined you know, outright simply because we might enjoy the recreational use of alcohol however if someone is under the conviction that there is certainly it is certainly the case that to consume alcohol would harm their witness then freely give it up it's not it's not a necessary part of part of life yeah i think that once this episode gets out
0: um i think that would be a good social media poll to put Mm. out and see um what people are are thinking on that topic get a bit of a community community feedback going um well, that is right about our time limit that we have for this episode. Um, I think that was pretty fun. I, good discussion. Um, a, lot of, a lot of good things talked about. Um, what, what did you think?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think for episode number one, um, challenging topic. <laughs> I think one that's going to garner uh, some interest. Um, some, I guess, uh, pushback, I hope. And uh, I hope people can respond with some comments, some criticism, counter-arguments. We welcome that. I, yeah. I want to hear them. Uh, I don't ever want to assume I know everything. I don't ever want to assume I've thought through every argument. So if there are people out there that have objections and concerns, we, we want them to share. But I've had a great time. and I'm looking forward to the next episode. I, I'm told it's only going to get more controversial from here on out. So I'm excited. Yes, that is the goal is to be okay.
0: as controversial as possible with these topics, just to really stimulate and get a discussion going. Well, we appreciate you listening, uh, taking the time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unorthodox Podcast. We will catch you in the next episode.